things are not always what they seem, and that is true with mental health. Anyone can suffer from mental health issues at any time, and this is especially true of people you might consider successful or who have everything together. In this episode, Natalie Torres Haddad shares her mental breakdown that led to a hospitalization that changed her life. Listen to hear about her resilient journey and how she transformed her life and how she manages her mental health today. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hello, this is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. I'm excited to have my friend, Natalie Torres Haddad, aka Financially Savvy Latina, here on the show today. Natalie is a TEDx speaker, author of Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes, also is the host of a bilingual podcast as well. She also has previously spoken at my event, Lola Retreat, which she was amazing. And similar to me, she is also a mental health advocate. Thank you for being on the show, Natalie. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm super excited for you to share your story. I think your perspective is going to help out a lot of people and kind of share a side of your story that I need, I think needs more amplification. So you know, I'd love to start by letting my audience get to know you a little better. Tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah, so um, I'll work backwards. So I guess when people ask a little about my story, it's kind of like, here's the resume, right? So my formal education, you could say, was uh, undergrad. I did two degrees in business, finance and international business. And then I eventually I did my master's in public administration. So I focus on government funding. And I've always been fascinated about money, not just managing it and understanding really how it works, but uh, it's been almost 20 years now, I think about it in the industry. And so I started investing at a very young age, uh, real estate, I think first place, yeah, the first place I purchased was a rental property at 24, bought and sold several after. And so money was always a part of my fascination because I grew up not having it. (laughs) Um, I always had everything I needed. My parents did a wonderful job providing for us, but I was actually born in El Salvador and raised in Los Angeles. I was a little child when my family fled during the civil war and majority of us live now here in the States. And we grew up in Inglewood, California. So we ended up in a city that was already struggling with um, not only financial resources, but just everyday resources. And then um, the LA riots that most people refer to, we call it LA uprising, occurred. So I was about 10 years old when all this was happening. And so people always ask me, when did you become fascinated about money? I'm like, that was really it for me, because I started to see not only the injustices that were happening in our communities, our black and brown communities, but I started to really pay attention that if you don't have the money, you can't really make the changes that you want to see within our communities. And so I wanted to learn how to make it in order to give back to my community. (laughs) 
Yeah, money means power. Money means privilege. Money means choices. And yeah, if you grow up in that environment, you definitely like want that and set that as a goal. Yeah. And, you know, I think my story, it's still always evolving. Right. And then when I think about what my money story was because of that incident um, and now that everything's going on with COVID and uh, the, you know, the frustrations that we're seeing with the murder of George Floyd and many others. And I think it, it also triggered a lot in me as far as um, I didn't even know you can get PTSD from the 92, you know, everybody's been talking about it lately and it really brought up a lot of emotions and anxiety because I was in that. And so I've had to really reflect and take time for self-care too, which is, I know a privilege. I can shut it off when I need to, but I understood that um, it's a journey that I'm still trying to figure out. And I think when people need to realize about mental health, it's not a quick fix and then it's done. It's, you know, things can trigger, things can, can be prevented too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's constantly evolving. And, you know, I just mentioned on another podcast that mental health and financial health, they're always evolving. Like once you meet one benchmark, then there's another benchmark. It's constant maintenance. And yeah, sometimes you might backslide a little bit. You know, I was talking to my therapist recently and she was like, everybody's regressing in some ways. Like everyone is dealing with this trauma. Of course, you know, black and brown communities even more. And then, yeah, for situations like this, where it could potentially bring up old traumas and triggers for you from the past. And I think, you know, there's just this heightened anxiety right now. And, you know, it sounds like with your story that you've kind of always had this fascination with money because it kind of was an open door for you to kind of get out of this situation that you were born into. Is is that right? Yeah. And, you know, um, I've listened to so many of your episodes because they're really helpful to hear people's stories. And I I like the cam girl one talking about how we learn from our mistakes. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I think about not just our own mistakes, but we start really learn what's happening around the world. And I had to come to grips with them the first few days that protesting started to happen Personally, my husband and I can't be, we usually protest. We're usually the ones out there as well. And this is the first time we couldn't, not just because of COVID, but our own personal health. And so we're doing other things that we could do by donating and spreading the word and and trying to educate ourselves too. But what happened um, these last few weeks, I had to do a lot of reflection because our mental health is so connected to our physical and financial health. And I think people forget that until they're faced with a lot of emotions, a lot of trauma. And I've dealt with the breakdown. I've dealt with, still deal with a lot of mental depression sometimes. The the things that I see within my own, my own struggle, you could say. So it's kind of these little things that, that we think they're little, but then it's like, oh, this is making me think about something that happened to me in the past. How do I learn to cope with that, work past that and move forward? Yeah. And I think it's so important that you mentioned that all of them are related, you know, financial, mental, and physical health are all related. And that, and I'm glad you mentioned that we typically would be out with the protesters, but currently you're not. I'm the same, like in theory, I want to be out there with the protesters, but I have such severe anxiety right now in this moment. Like every time I go into the grocery store, I'm like trying to thwart off an anxiety attack. And I'm like, "Mm." I will not be, you know, fun to be around if I'm going to have an anxiety attack and detract from the attention and the purpose of the protest. So I've chosen not to because I know that for my mental health, it will be very, 
bad and I don't want to put that on other people. And, you know, that's a hard decision when your politics are kind of at in contrast with your mental health needs. And I think, yeah, to your point, like we can support in other ways, money, time, make those phone calls, sign those petitions, you know, do what you can. And yeah, you have to take care of your mental health first. And, you know, you mentioned kind of these, these deeper, darker depression phases, and I've been there myself. And so I wanted to talk to you about an experience, you know, at one point, you were in grad school, you were working full time, it sounds like your schedule was filled to the brim, and you had completely burned out, had a breakdown. Can you share a little bit more about that experience? Yeah, when I was thinking about your show, I wanted to share things I haven't shared on other shows yet, because obviously mental health is that big um, component of this. And I even get exhausted when I tell people what was going on during that time, because I was working full time. I was going into my second year of grad school. I was also running a very successful nonprofit. We're going into our fourth year and it was called LA's Prom Closet. So we were servicing at least 300 girls per event. Um, had a full board, at least 100 volunteers. I was finishing up my first book and um, also dealing with student debt because now I had to take out more debt to pay for my second year of grad school. And I was a first generation college student as well, a grad as well. So I didn't know how to manage anything that was going on. I didn't know who to talk to about those frustrations that I was going through. And then this was in the midst right before um, the real estate, well, the market crash. And I lost my job. I I had just bought my first home that I was living in. This was at the first rental property, the first home that I was living in. Uh, technically, I was I was in a relationship with my husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, but I bought it by myself. So I had this added on pressure that I'm going to lose my home like everybody else was, like people that had I'd known had been investing for years. And a lot of anxiety was happening because not only did I feel like I was drowning in debt, and obviously now my source of income was gone, but I also... I felt this sense of shame. I didn't know that I could talk to someone about this. I didn't know what resources were available out there. And I fell into this deep depression. And the hard thing about when people talk about depression, they don't, everyone handles depression differently. And for me, I've always been that workaholic. I've always been the chipper, you know, peppy person. And I think that's the hardest part where I have friends that are therapists, social workers. And they said, after my mental breakdown, they started to really look at their the way they handle their own profession differently because they would always say not because seeing what you went through, they said I was the least likely person that could, that would think of to have a mental breakdown. And what does that mean? So for people that are listening, a mental breakdown, it progresses and there's little triggers that, that you should be aware of. So for me, all of a sudden I saw myself crying uncontrollably at different times, especially at night. I started to have insomnia. I started to crave sugars caffeine, things that I never really craved because I was usually always physically healthy as well. So all of a sudden, my, my, my physical aspect was starting to have obviously deterioration. And I was having a lot of more negative thoughts, a lot more difficulty, just just having a, to cope whatever was going on. And I felt this, this feeling of ashamedness. And it got to a point where a few days in, I, I hadn't really slept. And I started to feel that I would have to throw up, like, you know, just this physical feeling of something was wrong with my body. And this happened within like maybe two days. And I was, um, I was driving home. Oh, I was driving home from my husband's house and his father had, had had a heart attack at that time. So I was dealing with a lot of things, right? Very, very yeah, emotional. So much. Um, 
and getting rid of a, a, an abuse, not abusive, uh, a physical or emotionally abusive uh, relationship with a friend that I've been friends with years, which that can be like in a whole other break. So it was like all these That's things so that hard. Yeah. Perfect storm. Yeah. The perfect storm, I call it. And I remember trying to drive home and I couldn't, and it wasn't that far, like maybe a 30 minute, 30 mile um, drive. And I pulled over and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't drive home. Cause I was so emotionally like overwhelmed. Luckily my, one of my girlfriends was in the same town. And I would say she's, she's my angel. Her name's Angelica. I text her I'm like, Hey, by any chance, are you in the city? You know, cause they lived in the same city as my husband. She goes, actually, yeah, I'm visiting one of my old girlfriends. And I go, any way I could drive back with you. Cause we lived in, in Long Beach together, the same city. She goes, yeah, of course I'll pick you up once I'm done. And so she picked me up and I remember her having to pull over twice because every time I thought I was going to throw up and she knew something wasn't right. And she had never seen me like this. And so she said, why don't you spend the night with me? And it was her and her, her husband, they had just gotten married and I was sleeping in their guest room. And I remember I couldn't sleep. And I remember I was crying. And there was a moment that I thought I was going to yell, like the frustration of what is going on with my brain. I've never had this happen to me before. I've never had a breakdown or emotional breakdown. I've dealt with some difficult things in my life, but this was very, I never knew what was experiencing. And in the morning, this was during the week too, by the way. And in the morning, she called my mom because she was obviously like, something's not right with her. And I remember like vividly just, it's like an outer body experience, just kind of sitting in the car because my mom had to pick me up. She never leaves work. She's an executive. Like she drove all the way from our old town to pick me up in Long Beach, had me sit in the car and she's talking to my girlfriend. And my girlfriend's like, like I don't know, something's not right. She just, she seems a little off. And, um, and I just remember her feeling really worried. And I remember just being so exhausted. I felt like I had just run a marathon. I've run marathons before. So the fact that I was feeling that, I was like, why am I feeling like this? Why am I exhausted? It felt like a, a, a truck could hit me. That's how emotionally I drained I was. So she's driving me home. Luckily, my dad took the day off. He, he's self-employed. He's a plumber. And he stayed with me because mom had to go back to work. And I was just constantly talking and rambling and just random things that were coming up. And he could tell they've never seen me like this. My mom gets off of work. She called my brother too. I have a younger brother. We're really close. And she had him come over and I was, I hadn't slept. I hadn't rested and I was really restless and I was pacing back and forth. I was really uneasy. And my brother's like, you know what, why don't you come with me? We're going to go. I don't feel so well. He said he didn't feel so well. And so I said, okay. And I got in the car with them him and I in the backseat and he's just talking to me like listening and trying to talk to me and, and, and I'm like, and I'm asking him how he's feeling something. This is my mental state already. And he starts to tell me, Oh, he's like, I don't know. I'm just not feeling really great. You know, just kind of tired. And basically he was repeating what I was saying. We get to the hospital and I get there realizing they're there because of me, not because he's not feeling well. And my husband, my husband, his boyfriend at the time was working. So he was at work, not really knowing what was going on yet. My mom had just texted him saying she's with us and we're at the hospital. And as I'm waiting, I start to have a panic attack. And I've only witnessed two panic attacks before from a friend. And I didn't know it when it was happening to me, meaning you're, you're breathing really hard. It feels like you're about to have a heart attack. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. And so I was there and I started breathing heavily and my dad was holding me. I got to a point where I was like, just started crying and I couldn't breathe. And I remember even laying down and my brother and my dad caught me. This is all in the emergency waiting room. We went to a really nice um, hospital. So it wasn't packed. We were really lucky in that sense. And um, 
they take my vitals because they obviously know something's not right. The social worker comes after the, they took my vitals and they're like, everything else checks okay. Um, the social worker's talking to me and he was wonderful. Um, I, I don't remember his name, but I just remember him just asking me how I'm feeling and I'm crying and I kept on, and I kept on saying, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. At that point, because I didn't have a job, I had just lost my health insurance too. This is, I always tell people, it's important to make sure if you have a break in your job to get COBRA or whatever it is, because now I'm everything's out of pocket. And my mom had no idea I had lost my job. And that's another thing I hadn't even told them yet because I was trying to, oh. like, I don't want to worry them. Yeah. So she's finding out as I'm telling him, I don't have insurance. She looked at me like, what, what happened? You know? And, and I'm like, I'm no longer working there. It was like this whole, everything was going wrong. Yeah. So he says, you have a choice. He's like, um, I think you need some time to rest and just get some extra help. And it hands me over this paper. And I'm very like elusive, I guess you could say. I, I didn't take any medication. I never took drugs. And so it was voluntary or involuntary. And I told him, you know what, I'll volunteer. I know something's not right with me, especially if my family is worried about me. So I signed away and, and I volunteered to go into um, an acute psychiatric hospital. At this point, I was still crying. I had no idea what was going on. And now they're sending me in a paramedic uh, inside an ambulance. Um, this is all in the middle of, uh, I remember somewhere around middle of the night and I don't know where I'm going. Now I'm by myself. They can't go with me, obviously, because this is a, um, it's a, it's a hospital basically. And the next couple of days were a blur. I luckily had my journal. My mom had frantically pack some things for me like her like her sweats her like I had no clothes besides what I was wearing so she like packed some of her pajamas like it felt weird that I was wearing like her bigger like it just it felt weird and I still hadn't come to grass until the next day I finally slept they gave me some medication to help me sleep um, and this is a shared space too and I think this is why it's so important to talk about mental health because and what our, our county services and what our, our providers provide us because I was in a room, at least there was only one other person and she was having her own shit. You know, I don't know if you can curse, but she was going through her yes, own you stuff. Can. <laughs> and, and I was crying, like freaking out, like, where the hell am I? I had no idea what I was doing. I, I had no idea. I remember crying and, and that was all I remember. And I fell asleep. I woke up the next day and obviously there's, there was great. I had a really nice staff. Everybody was just really kind, but I kept on crying because I was like, how did I get here? What is going on? Why, why am I here? This isn't supposed to happen to me. I'm like this, you know, overachiever, very ambitious, always happy. Um, I, you know, I took care of myself. Everything that you would not expect the person to have a breakdown. That's what I was questioning. Like, what went wrong? And luckily, they sat me with the therapist and then um, a support group. And I was really fortunate that I was only there for 36 hours. But those 36 hours felt like 36 months. And I tell people when you're going through a mental breakdown, everything slows down your body and mentally, physically exhausted. And so everything felt so slow. I couldn't, I couldn't wait to go home. I didn't know what was happening. Um, but there's actual steps that they tell you you need to do, like eat, sleep, shower, the basic things that we forget to do almost when we're having this, this breakthrough, I guess. And then eventually um, I got to call my parents. And um, I was actually fortunate too, because one of my brother's best friends worked there. He was a, one of the head nurses. Oh, wow. And he was actually like my little, so this is something else that I always tell people. I think he's part of my angel because he was like my little brother growing up. He was at our house all the time and he looked out for me. Like he was checking up on me, giving my parents, I mean, I think he was checking out every hour, letting them know what's going on. So he knew, he knew me and the whole staff knew me, you know, so because of him too, thank, thank goodness for him. 
And I called home, they picked me up. A couple years later, my mom tells me, but she said her, her um, I get emotional when I say it out loud because I don't really share, I've never really shared this story with anyone. Um, she said her happiest moments in her life was the first day she got to bring me home from the hospital when I was a baby, when I was born. And the second was when she got the call that she could take me home. And everybody that's listening, I was 29 years old. I, I owned my own home. I, I had my life together technically, and I was very independent. And so for them to have to take me home, was really frustrating. And same thing for my husband at the time. He was just like so sad and didn't know what, what was going on really. And the process of mental health to bring it back to a mental healthy state was having to start talking about it. I had to do a lot of self-care. All of a sudden, for at least over a year, I was going to weekly therapy, group therapy, because I didn't have health insurance. And my parents could only afford so much too. So I was lucky, um, like I said, I had friends that were therapists, social workers. They referred me to county services. Every county in the state and the country has different services. And in Los Angeles County, they had different group support systems. So I attended once a week group support systems, which is really helpful because I heard other people's story and it made me think of like, thank God I'm not as bad as that. Or also like, oh, they went through that too. I understand, right? Like I get that. And then I also did one-on-one -on -one therapy through a donation-based organization, which a lot of people don't know. If you can't afford you know, a therapist, you can go to some uh, nonprofits and foundations that have licensed therapists at a pro bono or a low, low cost. And for me, I, I qualified for low cost. And then I started doing yoga. My dad, was, my dad does yoga all the time. So he would go with me to do yoga once a week. I couldn't drive anywhere because my parents were freaking out and my license had just expired. It was all these things that the nurse was like, you're staying kaput. Yeah. <laughs> and I was eating healthy. Um, I even had my eldest aunt, my mom's oldest sister. She was retired and came over quite twice a week to like help me just like babysit me technically, which was so weird looking back. Like she was helping me with cooking and she was always been like another mom. I had my closest girlfriends that knew what would happen. They would come once a week, one of them, you know, they would take turns to just sit with me and just talk to me and just see how I'm doing. And it was really embarrassing the first few months because all I would do was cry. I didn't know what would happen. And I was ashamed that I was going through this. I felt like a failure because I had to put everything on hold. Um, luckily for my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. So he was staying at our, our, at our condo you know, looking after those things. And um, I had a savings. I had, I thank God for savings, which helped me pay for my ambulance, which was like $3,000, which Oof. I was so sad to see all that money go. I was like, great. It's an expensive car, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, great. Um, and I had some money saved up. I, I saved up maybe four months worth of expenses. So like my bills, my credit card bills, student loans, I had to quit grad school. I, I remember sending it back then you had to fax it in. And I just felt like such a failure because I had worked so hard and, you know, a year already done and everything just paused and having the time to start talking to people, professionals, starting to talk to my family, my close friends that knew what had happened. It was a process. And I openly talked about my mental breakdown, acute psychiatric hospital, eight years later, it took me eight years to publicly say it. And I did it in the most craziest way you can say. I, I did it during a, my TEDx talk, my first one. And I, I still look back like, what, what the hell was I thinking? But <laughs> um, I know why, because when they chose me, when they offered me the talk, my coach said, this is what he said. And I was told people, I knew what he was saying, but I was like, kind of like, oh, he's a punk. But I love, I love the way he said, he goes, you know, there, there's a whole committee process. They, they look at your work, they, 
you know, they get tons of referrals and refer, recommendate all that. And it was final state. And he goes, you know what? I'm not that impressed with you. And I go, Ooh. okay. Ouch. And I like how he, I know what he said. This is what he said. He goes, the audience is full of extremely educated, influential people. He's like, a lot of these people have way more impressive stories that you do. And I know, and I, and I totally understand because it's true. This is, you know, uh, the type of market that they, I guess the people they market to. But he said, what makes you different than anyone else that talks and teaches about financial literacy? And that's when I started crying and telling him, I go, because I don't want to see anyone ever go through that mental breakdown that I went through. I don't want them to find themselves with no money. And I was lucky I had family and friends that were there to help me. It's not a one person thing. People need to get that through your head. You need help. You need professional help. And you need to take care of you first. So when people say, you know, do everything else, I go, you got to take care of you first before you can take care of anyone else. And when I told him my story, he's like, that's what you should share because that's what's going to make people want to listen to you from some other place in the other world for 10 minutes. And I, you know, it was really scary. Even my family was like, please don't do that because then you open yourself up to criticism. And it's true. A lot of family members looked at me like I was crazy. I didn't know. They didn't understand because they didn't know what was happening. Even my closest family and friends, um, until I publicly said that during the talk, um, they said, I had no idea. I just thought you were at home because you had a breakdown. I didn't know you were in an actual hospital. I didn't know you had to take medication and, and the whole nine yards with it. And so, yeah, it's been a journey. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for having that experience because now I know I could hopefully warn other people and at least prepare them to get through it. Yeah, well, first of all, I really want to thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that story. And I know it cannot be easy to replay that situation and to get to that point where you're in a hospital and then you have to be taken care of by your parents and your family members and they're kind of babysitting you and you're worried. And as you mentioned, you're, you're 29 at that point and you know, you're not like 22 or 21 or 17. And I think that's important to say because this could happen at any time. And as your therapist friends and a lot of people said, you were, you know, the least likely candidate for this to happen. And it did. And I think that's a big misconception with mental health is that there's a certain type. It's like everyone has mental health and physical health. Even if you don't have any quote issues or illnesses, like everyone has mental health and physical health. Like even if you start getting stressed out, that's affecting your mental health, right? And so it's something we all have to manage. And then you never know at some point if it could be you. I mean, there's clinical depression, which I suffer from. There's situational depression and anxiety, which we've all suffered from at some point, probably a lot of people are doing that right now in the, in the pandemic. And you know, I think sharing these stories and breaking down the stigma is so important. And I'm so glad that you shared this particular story because I think for people listening, maybe they have been in a hospital too. Maybe their their family members have been in a hospital or maybe they're in a bad place and that's like the next step. And they either know that that's what they should do or they want to really just get the help to hopefully avoid that. And so I think you're such a huge inspiration for for sharing that. And you know, I kind of want to talk about what your life was like after being hospitalized and, wh- and what was the process of rebuilding your life, both your finances and your mental health? Yes, um, it's such a great question. So this was during the recession. And right now we're in a recession, right? So I think this is why this is really important for people to hear this. Um, after I publicly said I had a mental breakdown through my TEDx talk, I had two women that came up to me. I had tons of people come and talk to me after the speech, but 
two that particular members stand out. One, she was in her late 60s, um, I'm sorry, late 50s. And she hugged me and she said, I just lost my job and I haven't really told anyone. And she'd been working there for 30 years. They let her go. And she said, thank you for sharing your story because she goes, I thought I was dying. I thought I'd been, I had no idea what's been going on these last few weeks. And what you just said just made me think of, I need to take care of myself. And so for me, I was like, yes, that was the point. At least one person is helped. And then this other lady said, she started crying. She goes, you made me care about financial literacy, right? The importance of having, (laughs) you know, your emergency fund, um, the importance about having your family and friends know what you're going through when you're having financial hardship. If you lose your job, if you're you're drowning in debt, if you are um, having whatever physical issues, because sometimes you get sick and then there comes the debt, right? And, or vice versa. We sometimes don't know what happens, right? Because it happens at the same time. And so the process after that for me was understanding that I don't need to be ashamed. It happened to me and now I need to deal with it. So that's the first step that allowed me to just start working on myself. I had to set up a routine, just like when we deal with our money, we have to have an actual process that's going to help us stay accountable, um, help us also pay attention to our progress. Because there are some days that I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't help but cry. There were some days that just walking down the street was a a frustration for me. Like I couldn't do it. Um, I remember trying to do yoga and I had done yoga years prior. And I remember I couldn't even do a downward facing dog, which is one of the easiest moves you can do. And it let me know that my mental and my physical health was not driving, right? There has to be a balance. And so I had to really watch what I was eating. I had to really pay attention to when I was paying my bills that I always created a, a good environment. I was always really good about paying my bills and dealing with it. And it didn't bring as much anxiety at all, or really any. But because of that happening to me, I had to really make the effort to make it this spa-like environment. So this is one of my tips I always tell people is have your tea, your calming tea, your candle, your essence oil, your music, anything that puts you into like the most relaxed state possible. And that's how I pay my bills. And I do it with place of gratitude. And that year and a half, I had to make sure I always was a big person, a, a person about, excuse me, about journaling. I always, I always did it. I've been journaling since I was like 10. And during that time, I had a new journal too, because I wanted to document what was going on. I wanted to be able to look back and be like, these are trigger points. These are things that I need to do to prevent. So I never have to go through that again. But I remember every day I forced myself to write one good thing one thing that I was grateful for. And there's some days that was really hard because I was so mad at myself. I had to learn how to forgive myself. I had to learn how to forgive others. I had to really reflect on what my money story was too, because when I lost my job and and, and this, I had this added on pressure that I'm going to have to basically get rid of our nonprofit. Luckily we lasted another two years, but I felt, oh my God, all these girls that we're going to let down, I won't be able to afford to keep going. Right. And so I was coming from a place of this scarcity or this lack of that really messed up my positive thinking or the motivation that came with it. So, and that's something that I think we all forget to do, especially during the recession, especially when we, we lose income, even if it's just a little bit here and there. And so the journaling was extremely helpful, but it was almost like as if I was taking care of myself 24 seven. And the truth is after the year and a half, when I could start Going back to work, I eventually went back and finished my second year of grad school. I had to take steps differently in a sense where 
I could no longer do everything. And as when we're younger too, we feel like we can do everything because we have all this energy. So for me around 30, things started to change and I was like, nope. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that. Anymore. And my therapist said it so well. And I love, I love, I had great therapists too. And, and, and I, I always urge people try out different therapists because it's not always the first one is going to be the jive. But the one that I really worked with for about a year and a half, she was amazing. She said, my experience was, what most people go through a midlife crisis. I just happened to have it younger. And because of it, I came out wiser, stronger, smarter, more successful, all these things that I could have never imagined at that time. Because trust me, those first two years were the hardest for me. My mom even said it, all of us, they were afraid that my life was pretty much done or like meaning I'm going to have to start all over again, everything I had worked for. But not at all. If anything, I was more conscious, more mindful. Um, I set a lot more boundaries for myself till this day I do that. And I always recommend people set your own boundaries. My boundaries are different than yours. And I really learned to pay attention to what brings me joy, what brings me comfort. And, and then when I also start to see things that will trigger, like I said, this last few months have been hard for everybody. These last few weeks have been extremely difficult for me as well because of the PSD from, from the 92, but, um, I was thankful enough that I could recognize, uh oh, this is happening. I'm not sleeping well, or I'm starting to crave sugars, or I don't really want to work out as much. And so when that starts to happen and you start to recognize those trigger points, that's when I have to go in full forward more and be like, sorry, guys, I got to take care of myself because, um, especially in our cultures, I'm Latina, you know, I'm from El Salvador and we're, and most cultures, most, and women, just women in general, we're taught to take care of everybody, right? The nurturer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, we're, we're the moms, we're the nurturers. We're the moms for everything. And I feel like that's such a horrible message that I always have to remind, especially I tell moms, no, you come first. Because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your kids. Yeah. And um, and I think for me, that's something, I, that's one of the reasons why I advocate about mental health. Because we're always taught, well, your family comes first. And I had to re reteach myself and say, no, I come first because then there's no way I can take care of my family. And, and sometimes people think that's being selfish. And the truth is, no, it's called self-care. And if, if you want to call it selfish, call it what you want to call it. Yeah, it's being responsible. Thank you. And I've because of that, I've learned to identify those things. I've been able to take care of so many more people. I've been able to financially, physically help so many others. I mean, now it's it's incredible to think it's been almost 10 years since that breakdown. And actually it's been over 10 years and I've been able to help thousands of people deal through student debt, through just regular debt, through death. And I always say it's the three things, death, debt, or a disease that will put you in financial ruin. And for me, it was mental illness that happened to me that really made me think I need to change some things to make sure I don't ever find myself um, not with enough money. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned identifying your triggers and when you start seeing them, because I think, you know, as you start to work on the healing process, like starting to recognize when that happens and like, what are the things that make me feel bad? When are, when are the situations where I'm like, I feel like I have too much. And I think, you know, you've done so much work and I'm so glad to see that you've, you know, here on the other side and you're helping so many other people. And I wanted to go back a little bit because you mentioned that you're a Latina. And so as a Latina and as well as an immigrant that was born in El Salvador, were there any barriers with your family or like different kind of um, stigmas around getting mental health care or, you know, like, what is this? Because I know that sometimes there are, are stigmas and barriers, e even more specific to cultures. Like, obviously, there's a stigma in general, 
But I'm just curious to hear your point of view as a Latina and immigrant. Like, how did your family react and what barriers did you face? You know, there's so many stigmas. Um, till this day, I still don't know how people will take it when I talk about my mental breakdown, right? It's still nerve wracking in the sense, but the sad thing about when there's a good thing that I feel more and more people are talking about mental health um, and, you know, what we can do to make sure we don't fall ourselves into these difficult situations. But it was difficult at first because especially black and brown communities, Latino communities, particularly, they're not big on therapy, right? Either because they don't have the money, they don't really know the, or not, resources aren't really available. Now we're starting to see some of that conversation, helping others and, and letting people know what resources are available. But in the beginning, it was that don't talk about it, you know, don't tell anyone because they were afraid that I was going to be called as a crazy person or, you know what I mean? Like whatever stigma that people think of mental illness. And some of my people that I love the most are bipolar, are manic depressive. There's so many different classes too, where I think people don't understand that medication can help, therapy can help, all these different resources, not just the one thing that's going to help you become better. And my own things that I had to break through was my mental health also was having to really have those awkward conversations, especially about money. Um, most people that I talk to that, you know, you become people's money therapist, especially after book signings, like after I speak and people come up to you and they tell you like, oh my God, I'm going through a divorce or I just lost a loved one or I'm stuck in all this debt. And you become their therapist for a few minutes. Like, okay, let me just hear what you're saying. And it's the same common denominator of who are you talking to this about? Who are you asking for help? Or who are you just just having to talk the conversation, let's say with your best friend, if they know that you're going through some financial hardship or mental hard, you know, difficulty, um, they can help you figure out, become more rational, you could say. And within our Latino cultures, I think that's something where we still need to learn how to start those awkward conversations. And right now during a recession is the best time to do that, believe it or not, because then what happens is we start to feel more included in the conversation. And I, actually for me, it's brought more sense of relief, knowing that I'm having these conversations with my parents. Hey, are you guys okay? What do you need from me? And just just kind of what to prepare mentally. And I think sometimes when it comes to mental illnesses, it's we think there's like a time period. Like you mourn, this is it. You've lost, this is it. Everyone is completely different. Um, I lost both my grandparents within less than six months and I was extremely mm, close to both so of them. Sorry. Thank you. And during that time, it was once again, this emotional mourning and the difficulty. My mental health was deteriorating as well as my physical. I gained 15 pounds in like less than seven months and, and all these things that were happening. But it was those things that I started to recognize, uh-oh, I've been here before. I need to start having these conversations with people. And I think because of me coming out, I've seen a lot of my own family members and friends that are Latino too, that come out and say, you know what, I have been dealing with this. And one cousin who was older than me, she shared with me that she had a breakdown while she was in college. And the fact that she told me that made me feel so much better because I thought, man, if I would have known her story before it happened to me, I could have identified some of these things that she had dealt with. And, and I think it's, that's the importance of having to hope. Sometimes we have to lead the conversation, especially as an immigrant too, because not only are we bringing our own trauma, but we're bringing our family's trauma. And sometimes we relive it every day, especially right now that I'm seeing the horrific things that have been going on with, especially within the black communities. Um, we have family members that are Afro-Latino, right? So that's another issue that we're, we're starting to talk more about the injustices that happen, but these traumas, sometimes we need professional help. And that means someone that is 
you know, not only qualified, but can give you helpful resources. And I think um, many of us, especially Latino culture, sometimes we shy away because we're like, whoa, a hundred and something for, for an hour session. But then it's like, uh, trust me, it's worth a few sessions if you can't handle too many instead of paying thousands of dollars for one ambulance ride. Trust me, I would have done therapy a long time. Prior. <laughs> you know, and that's why I was talking about. I could have been in real financial ruins, but I'm like the fact that I spend easily, I think with medication and, and therapy and all, it was at least $10,000. This was after the breakdown. And if I would have just done therapy or group support or just talked about it more, I could have avoided a lot of that. And that was pretty little compared to stories that I've heard where they've lost everything. So that's kind of hopefully an insight because I know a lot of cultures are very similar. Yeah, I think paying for that can do a lot of good up front and save you some money down the line. I'm curious, in your opinion, do you think that there's like this lack of trust for people in the Latino and immigrant community when it comes to seeking help and professional because, you know, it's like you're telling these secrets, you're talking to someone. If you're an immigrant, maybe you have things you don't want to share or you do want to share or you're scared of what that information is. Like, do you think there is a lack of trust and is that the main issue? Oh, absolutely. That's, that's a big, actually, that's a great point you're pointing out because, um, and there's a lot of research behind that, not just within the medical, mental health, it's the medical field where there's a lot of discrimination and injustices that happen for black and brown communities. And therapists don't understand our culture as well if they're not, you know, from it. Um, My therapist, the one that I was with for the longest, she was actually Jewish. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to meet with somebody that is of your culture. But now there's resources. Um, I actually know them personally, their podcast too, but uh, Latinx therapy and therapy for Latinx. So it's a directory to help um, find therapists that speak your language that are part of, you know, understand your cultural background, because sometimes maybe their biases might not help you. And, and so unfortunately, when I hear other people said, Oh, I went to therapy, and it was a horrible experience, because they shamed them, they basically, they weren't helpful at all. And it was Ugh, kind of that that's horrible. Yeah. And imagine this is a place where you're supposed to feel safest. Um, I had a therapist who is African-American man. He was awesome. I was lucky that I had different types of therapists. And the one that really stuck was her. I, I just connected with her. And sometimes I think that's an issue too. If maybe you want to talk to a female therapist as opposed to a male therapist. And I think that's part of what we need to see. And unfortunately, within the Latinx community, we don't have enough therapists yet. They're out there. And I'd be happy to recommend people to to so many. But you know, there's still such a small percentage. And I think that's part of what we need to help people find these resources um, and have them try out and not feel that they have to, you know, check into this particular box. Because if you're coming to a place of vulnerability, which we already are, and then you're met with the complete opposite of someone actually that really wants to help you or not, that will push people away from never wanting to go back to therapy. And I think that's something, an issue still that we need to address more often. Yeah. And I had just mentioned the other day that, you know, therapy already comes with so much baggage as it is and requires so much emotional fortitude and vulnerability that, you know, it makes complete sense that you would want to find a therapist that looks like you, that speaks your language, that can understand kind of that context of your history. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we'll definitely link to some of these resources in the show notes and, I think even if there is a smaller population, like they are out there and that we should be promoting that to other people for sure. And if I may add, now we see a lot more telesessions, virtual sessions. Um, And I've had my own recently too, because 
that's something that wasn't available before. And, and now I feel like it's such a great reason. So people can't use the excuse. Well, I don't want to have to drive somewhere, sit in traffic and, and, you know, create more anxiety. Now it's like you could do it from the comfort of your own home. And so, you know, these resources are evolving and they're adapting to, to all different types of culture and, and trauma. So, and I think the best thing is sometimes you could just ask a friend and when friends start talking about their own situation, it opens up to, to know that you're not alone and that, it, you know, everyone experiences differently. And, and I think we become more compassionate people. Never again, and I'll, I'll say, I'll never see somebody and think, oh my God, they're crazy or they're this horrible person. It's, I always ask myself, what, what happened? What's going on? And how can I help them? Because if we learn to really see, when we see homeless people, especially in LA, we're the highest homeless population in the country. And when I, people are like, oh, they're just lazy. I'm like, you really don't know what's going on. If they don't have the food, the health, well, how do you expect their mental health to be at the right state? So I think these are things that we need to address more of. Yes, definitely. And I'm so glad that you are doing your part by sharing your story. And I, I wanted to end the show kind of talking about mental health and financial advice specifically for people that are new to this country. So I know you were born in El Salvador. You came here later. So you have a very specific perspective. And so I'm curious, what would be your advice for someone that's new to this country on how that they can manage their mental and financial health? Yes, great question. So first I'd ask, I let them know that there are free resources, a lot that are now bilingual. And this is all fairly new. So there's still very little content. And that's partly why I ended up pivoting my podcast to do bilingual too, because a lot of students, especially those that had just graduated, um, now making good money, they're like, how do I have this conversation with my parents if they don't understand what I'm learning? And I go, oh, yeah, I should have this in Spanish for like the tias, the uncles, the aunts, right, that, that need to know what the, what the conversation looks like. And understanding that some of these resources are free, some of them are low cost. Um, and if it's not there, then seek those people that will be willing to, to translate it for you. And um, I'm actually really proud. Uh, last month, I finally got my my book in Spanish, I had, I've had it in English since 2012, and it's finally available on Kindle um, Spanish. And it was that kind of, it took years to get to that point, but bien. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's kind of like those things that now, now I start to see, this is the coolest thing about within, I've been doing this for 20 years, but the last 10 years, I've seen so many Latinas from other countries as well become financial educators talking about these topics. And so now that there's podcasts, right? Podcasts are free. That's a whole nother therapy. That's why I love listening to your episodes every day. I'm like, Oh, learn something new. And it's helpful to know that these resources um, can help us take that time. And like everything I say, I do everything in 20 minutes of content, but therapy is that kind of sense for me too, where I'm like, if I can do 20 minutes of mental health for myself to learn something new that I can apply, whether it's a cognitive therapy, where it's, um, you know, doing something that's physical and maybe 20 minutes to learn something new about how I can manage my money. It's allowing myself that it's going to take time. It's something I'm going to have to constantly evolve with. But for immigrants, for recent immigrants, or just people that want to talk to their family in a different language, the resources are out there. And if they're not, they're, they're coming. You just have to start asking for it. And um, you know me so well. I'm always talking about, especially at Lola, we talked about this, that representation matters. And totally. So it's huge. It's huge. And, and right now we're starting to see that shift where, you know, it's, it's amazing that we're like the future, it's going to be the main languages will be Spanish and English. So for people to start to really take that in consideration and providing some of this content, 
And so that's partly what my journey has allowed me to be where I am today is, is being able to use both languages. And, and for those that are just starting out, it's like, it's there. You just have to search for it and be happy to provide those resources for them. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been such a wonderful journey hearing your story. You are so brave and amazing and you are so successful and you've helped so many people. So I think you should be proud of yourself. And I wanted to ask, where can people find you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, You know, I think it's, I I love surrounding myself with women like you, powerhouses. Uh, People could find me through Instagram, Financially Savvy Latina uh, website, podcast and book is called Financially Savvy in 20 Minutes. And so, yeah, make sure they tune in and it's also bilingual. Everything's bilingual. I do my best to do that context. So I look forward to helping anyone that needs it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review. If you want to suggest a topic or simply say hello, you can reach me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can check out the rest of our content at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.